Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Hey everybody, Pastor Justy here from Rock Creek Family Church, hoping that everybody is doing well. I have a quick question for you just to get things started off. Do we get to eat in heaven? And if so, what all is what is that all about? Well, we're going to cover that and much, much more here in just a few minutes. So right now, Get your stuff ready, get your Bible, get your pen, get your notepad, highlighter, whatever it is. Get it all ready, get it all going, and let's dive into Revelation chapter 19. We've been going for a few weeks now in the book of Revelation, uh, actually quite a few weeks now. Thanks for, for hanging in there and sticking with it. I appreciate you very much joining in with us week after week. And this, if this is your first week, or even if you've missed a few weeks, that's okay. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for being with us. You can go back and catch all of the previous Bible studies on our YouTube channel, or on our website, uh, rockcreekfamilychurch.com, or you can go, uh, we have now podcasts for that. Uh, you, you can catch all of those that we've already done, get caught up to speed, or just listen more. Maybe there was something that uh, you didn't catch previously, but you want to catch now. So good to see everybody. Thanks for, sh- thanks for uh, showing up. Um, like us, share us, get us out there. We're definitely wanting to see God do amazing things with Rock Creek Family Church, and you are, you are involved in, in helping us out with that. So thank you. We appreciate it. We love you. We're here for you. Um, Let's go ahead and go to prayer. Take a moment to pray. Then we're going to dive into Revelation chapter 19. We are getting to some good stuff. This is some really exciting good stuff. We've gone through some heavy stuff, some dark stuff, some scary stuff. But now the, the dawn is breaking. Light is breaking through the clouds. And we're about to jump into some really exciting stuff. So can't wait to get to that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness that is always guiding us and leading us. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit to seal us until the day of redemption. Thank you, God, that you're with us. Thank you, God, that we that there are, are men and women and young men and young women out there within the sound of my voice that are getting more and more hungry for more and more of you. We love you, and we pray that we see you move in our, our our hearts, and then may that cause a reaction to move in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches, in our communities. God, start with us. Start with me. Start a fire down in my soul, and let that burn for everyone else around me to see. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray for those that are not feeling well, those that are sick, those that are, that are, that are struggling, or those that have a broken heart tonight. God, that you would just show up and encourage every one of them, strengthen them, be with them, God. Draw them closer to you, and help us, Lord, to see and hear you more clearly through all of the noise and all of this stuff that's going on in this world. Father, we trust you. We trust you with these prayer requests. We trust you with this night, this evening, this Bible study. Here it is, God, have your way. You lead, we'll follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, good to have you again, good to see you. Hopefully you've gathered all your stuff. You're all together, you're ready to go. Revelation 19, let's jump on in. And I'm gonna do like I have uh, done in the past. I'm gonna take Revelation 19 and we're gonna chop it up into bite-sized pieces. And then as we chew on all of those pieces, we'll hopefully get that bigger picture of what's happening in that entire chapter. And then also kind of in the grand big picture of what's happening in uh, the book of Revelation itself. So Revelation chapter 19, starting verse one, here we go. After these things, 
Okay, we're going to stop right there. I know we didn't make it very far. Uh, just hold on to your horses. We're going to get there. I promise you. Um, we're going to take about the same amount of time we always do. But I don't want to go too far without skipping over anything, skipping over this. And this is actually really important. After these things. This is something that John himself, it's a way that he wanted to write this. It's a way he felt, if you will, divinely inspired to write this. To give us not only a time line, a time frame that says that something's going to happen, then after that something's going to happen, then after that something's going to happen, then after that something's going to happen. Uh, he, he gives us a timeline, and our timeline here, of course, is we're at the end. We're at the end of the tribulation period. We're at the end of that seven years. The empire that thought it was so great and so big and so grand and so luxurious, it's coming down. It's, it's falling down. It's coming to a close. The beast the dragon, the false prophet, all these who thought that they had it all wrapped up and thought everything was going good for them, that God's going to put an end to it all. God's going to put an end to the evil right now, kind of as we speak in this chapter. This is a very important chapter. This is a chapter that we can give God praise in. In fact, through this chapter, you're going to see multiple times and multiple words that all mean praise be to our God. Oh, what an exciting chapter. After these things. Also, what it means is to me is that God has this all ordained. It's all planned out. He's got it all in line, in order, and he knows how to accomplish. He knows what he's doing, and he's going to make things happen the way he wants them to happen, when he wants them to happen. He will allow certain things to happen. He will allow some things not to happen. He will do all of this according to his word, his will, his plan that has been set forth from Genesis. So after these things can also mean go all the way back to Genesis and, and realize that everything lined up perfectly to get us to this point, and it is the point of the victory of Jesus Christ and the victory of us found in Jesus Christ. So what a power-packed way to start this chapter. After these things, I heard a loud voice. Faith comes by hearing, right? I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. What a way to start off. What a way to, to, to really, really recap all of Revelation that as messy as it is, glory and praise is still God's. And he is, um, in this chapter, we're starting off with that. In fact, we start off with the word Alleluia. And we, th this word Alleluia is the same as, as Hallelujah. You've probably read it or heard it that way. Hallelujah, Alleluia. Uh, they're basically the same word, just different transliterations of it all. Um, but Alleluia means in its original context, original language, original meaning, is praise ye Jah, or praise be to Jah, or praise be to the self-existent one. The self-existent one being God himself, that before all of this was, he was there. Uh, he was the creator of it all, the founder of it all. He is self-existent. He doesn't need me to exist, although I'm extremely thankful that he chose to, to, to weave me together uh, in, in one day, and, and he chose to create me. He chose to give us creation, to give us a world, to give us each other. He chose that. Now, now that doesn't mean that he has to have us to exist, but it does mean that we have to have him to exist. So never forget that. This is God first. He is God. That's why he's God and not anything lesser than that. All right, here we go. Uh, verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants that were shed by her. He's about to bring forth his righteous judgment in its entirety upon uh, that Babylon world system we talked about for the last couple weeks. 
upon the beast, upon the dragon, upon the great harlot, which is that world system um, that uh, is trying to live in defiance of God. Um, he's about to bring swift, powerful judgment upon this. And it's all going to culminate in uh, the Battle of Armageddon, which will happen later in this chapter. But this is just kind of a foreshadowing of saying, hey, it's about to go down. <laughs> the, the sirens are going off. But in this case, the sirens is this thunderous multitude, loud praise that's going to be going on in heaven. What a contrast. Well, we see this very great contrast here in Scripture about the darkness and the, the mess and the chaos and the stuff that's going on in the world versus the praise and the glory and the honor and the order that's happening in heaven. And now heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's about to come down uh, like WWE Smackdown. It's about to come down on planet earth. Uh, verse 3, again, they said, this is the second time. I think in all, it'll say it four times. Again, they said, Alleluia, for her smoke rises up forever and ever. Her smoke being the great harlot, the, the world system, the, this last great empire that thought it was bigger and better than God, didn't need God. Well, all of a sudden, it's come crashing down. It's burning. It's on fire. Um, it's not looking good, and through all of that now, while that is going on, there's there's this praise going on in heaven, this incredible praise worship service happening in heaven, and it's pretty interesting to note, to me at least, that the very first time they say, Alleluia, they say it in reflection of who God is, and then the second thing they say it, the second time they say, Alleluia, they say it for what God does. So it's like the first time they recognize who God is, second time they recognize the move of his hand and what he is doing. So again, that gives us this principle that we can always know that what God does comes out of who God is, which is very important because uh, we can then trust him with what he's going to do in our life. We can trust that he's good, that, that whatever's going to happen will then be good. We can trust that it's going to work out for his glory because that's the way he does things. That's why we can, we can read this scripture that says, for all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We can trust in that because everything that he does, he's righteous, he's good, he's love, he's peace, he's joy. He's, he's this majesty, his awesomeness, this splendor, this, this incredible God. And so everything that he does then comes out of that. And so we can trust that whatever he's going to do in your life, whatever he's going to do in my life, it's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. God's not finished. And if you haven't seen God do anything awesome in your life as of yet, you just hold on to him. He will because he is awesome. All right. Um, Verse 4, And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, and Alleluia again. Uh, we've been in this worship service now for now four verses. Third time we've heard Alleluia, this time being led by the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures. Go all the way back to the first of Revelation, and uh, you will see that this, that that's when the same praise began. These same people, these same beings started this worship service in the very beginning of Revelation. And now they're here at the end of Revelation and they're still worshiping and they're still praising. What an incredible environment of worship, environment of glory and power and majesty. I love a good worship service. I love to worship. I spend a lot of my private time in worship. Uh, because I feel like it magnifies God to me. Uh, I don't do anything necessarily to God, but I do something through worship and prayer that allows my view of God to get bigger and to get clearer. And that's what worship does. And man, I love a good worship service where the church service is moving and God's moving his hand in the in, in our service and in our hearts. And and man, if if you love a good worship service down here, Woo! Wow! Wait till you get up there. It is going to be, it's going to be 
in a way where you, it's going to be almost incomprehensible, okay? It's going to be so great and so awesome and so incredible that through this worship, you're going to get such a view of God that you never thought was possible. You're going to get to feel God in ways you never thought was possible. You and God are going to become one. You guys are going to be so close and so clearly uh, be able to see him. It's going to be incredible. I mean, what an incredible, powerful worship service is going to be there at this time in heaven. And then this this is the end of that seven-year tribulation period. Worship is rising, and God's judgment is about to come down finally upon the enemy. Uh, verse 5, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and all those who fear him, both small and great, everybody. It starts at the 24 elders and the, the living beings that are, are around his throne. And then it, like a ripple effect, moves throughout the entirety of heaven. What a great, great multitude and sound and, and song and worship this is going to be. In fact, let's read verse 6 and hear what everybody is going to be saying. Verse 6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia. Here we go for the fourth time. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Can you imagine that? Now, I have been in stadiums that, you know, hold 80,000-ish people, um, been in stadiums where the almost the entirety of the crowd is on their feet applauding and praising something good that had just happened whether it's a musician doing his thing or maybe it's a, an athletic team doing their thing uh, and they do something really good and everybody just jumps up and cheers and lifts up their voice, lifts up their applause, lifts up their praise. And when they do it, it just causes something to rise up inside of you and you can feel the electricity in the air. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. It's just incredible incredible that that feeling of being at one with everybody who's a fan saying yeah this is awesome and the electricity moves from one person to the next the next thing you know is exploding in the whole whole 80,000 seat um, uh, convention center or or arena or or whatever stadium whatever so okay that that is minuscule compared to what's going on here I mean, this, this is 80, that's 80,000 people. This, what we're reading about, is a great multitude, which basically is a fancy way of saying that's a number I can't even number. It's, it's a number I can't, I'm not even going to tally. It is every saint that has ever passed away. Uh, it is everyone that's ever believed in God. It's everyone who's ever given their life to God. It's all of those in the rapture. It's all of those that have been going through the tribulation period and been martyred. It's every saint that God has ever had on top of with the, all the angels. That is a number that's thousands times ten thousands. It's a number that is, is going to be crazy and they're all going to be singing the same worship song to the Lord God Almighty. He is the God omnipotent and he's reigning. Omnipotent means he's all powerful. That is, this is all about him, right? So imagine the electricity that's going to be jolting through all of heaven at this time. Woo, that's going to be awesome. Man, I'm just excited. This is crazy. This is good stuff. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice. No kidding, right? And give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. We're going to talk a little more about this marriage uh, of the Lamb, but um, there's something called the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're now about to enter into as his bride, his church, his people that have been looking for him. But this is just a praise and worship service that's also going to be going on through so much enjoyment that, that we're going to know that not only is the end of the world happening, but the beginning of eternity is the millennial reign and then later than that, 
the, the beginning is happening. We're, we're about to enter into a festivity called the marriage of the Lamb and His bride. Uh, verse 8, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Thanking God that we are all now arrayed in this pure, fine, heavenly linen. Um, we all get this linen to basically say, we're all his now. Um, this this robe, this linen, whatever, it, it covers everything. It covers all of our past faults and flaws and failures. It covers everything, just like the prodigal son when he came home to his father. The father didn't 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 point his finger at the son and say, ooh, you're dirty, you're stinky, you're smelly. Get out of here, go change and wash up and go go get cleaned up before you then come to me. That's, that's not what happened. When, when the father saw the prodigal son coming, the father ran to him, hugged him, embraced him, and then threw his own covering, his own cloak over him as if to say, I know you have had stuff happen in your past, but from now on, it's different. There's a new creation. There's a new way of life from now on. And I'm covering you with my covering. So we're going to be covered with the same righteousness that God is represented in these robes. All right, and it says, verse 9, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who called, who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. As if John is saying, you have to trust me. This is all going to be worth it. <laughs> you have to trust me. These sayings that I'm writing down, it's absolutely true. Hold on in faith. You will get there. Right before I read that, the end of that last verse says, in verse 8 says, that these are the righteous acts of the saints. Um, we read in the Bible that faith without works is dead. Uh, James tells us that. Hebrews 11 tells us that. Um, faith without works is dead. Well, if faith without works is dead, then what is faith with works? Uh, it's life. And that's the life of, of the Spirit and the life of the, the holiness of God that works through us. And, you know, what he's saying is, is that those, those that are ready for the marriage uh, the bride of Christ to be ready to to really enter into eternity with uh, with the groom being Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Those are are the ones that didn't just say they believe, but they really truly lived like they believed. And that's kind of a way of God saying that's that's part of the judgment where he can tell if you've just kind of faked it or if you really loved him and are are doing everything you can to to love him and serve him i'm not saying that we're saved by our works by no means it is a gift of grace it is by grace through faith um that that grace makes it happen but faith is that that operation of it happening um, faith and grace are working together beautifully with with God's providence and our working that out. And that's what God wants us to know. That, And that's what John is wanting to say here, that these sayings are true for all of those who, who struggled with that, for all of those who, who ever wondered, is this all going to be worth it? That sometimes these, these, these acts and this living, sometimes it was hard. But John is saying, just hold on. It's worth it. Through every struggle, every persecution, every doubt, every fear, you held on with faith. It's all one day going to be worth it. It says, um, this is the testimony. This is the end of, of verse 10. Um, this is the testimony. I'm sorry. Let's go up to, to the first of verse 10. I got out of order here just a second. All right. First 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
What is basically happening here is that the angel who is taking John through all of heaven at this point, um, and John and the angel are like watching this happen and watching this unfold prophetically so that we can see that this is truly going to happen. But then this is so amazing. He's so overwhelmed that as the angel is there with him, talking to him, he begins to bow down and worship right there in front of the angel. And the angel says, oh, stop, stop, whoa, time out. Don't worship me. I'm just like you are. I am a minister of God, which is what angels really are. They're ministering uh, spirits and spiritual beings that God has created to help us out, to serve him and to also help us out. He said, I'm just like you. You you were created to serve God. You were created to worship God. Say, so was I. So don't, don't bow down to me. All worship goes to God. All worship goes to him because we're just the ones that carry the testimony of Jesus. And that testimony, he says, is the spirit of prophecy. What that basically means is that, that the gospel is always prophetically moving to this right here. That the good news of God is the fact that he reigns over it all. That your creator wants a relationship with you. And that prophetically, he's moving you into a perfect relationship with him. I've heard it said this way. Um, I've done a number of funerals, in fact, a few lately. But I've heard it said this way, that, um, that we are all, all of the saints, have this sanctification process the Holy Spirit is doing in us, working in us, working through us. But at the moment we pass and we move from this world into the next, when, from the moment that we lay this earthen vessel down and the, our heavenly treasure is picked up, um, at that moment, that's the very moment that our sanctification process stopped, that we have matured all that we can mature down here in the earth. And now we're moving into the next level of glory to become fully what God has wanted us to become with no limitations, no, in, no inhibitions, nothing between he and us. And so that's kind of, in essence, what the angel is saying to John, that this is the testimony that you and I are carrying. And that is a prophetic testimony that says that the gospel is moving us all forward towards that. Verse 11, now I saw heaven opened. What a sight, right? And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful. And true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Uh, now this is the point where you're either going to say, uh-oh, or you're going to get really excited. If you're on the side of the enemy, you're going to say, uh-oh, because sky, it's, don't forget, now on earth it's, it's been really dark. That they've, The whole earth has been covered with a cloud, with a dark cloud. The sun and the moon, they're not shining. It's just darkness, and all you have is this thick cloud over your head. And then all of a sudden you look up and there is this parting of the heavens. And the next thing you see is this glorious light with a white horse and Jesus Christ himself sitting on that horse, ready to make war, ready to bring about retribution and full righteous judgment. And now if you're on the world side of things, the enemy side of things, the next word out of your mouth is probably, uh-oh. Um, and I probably cleaned that up a little bit, but, but your next words out of your mouth in essence are, oh no, uh-oh, here it is. We're at the end. We are the foolish virgins that wasted our oil, our faith on other things of this world. We put our faith, we were like the foolish virgins who burned their oil up, burned their faith up on things that did not matter. Um, but on the other side of heaven, this is where we also erupt in praise because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and now he is going to be fully victorious. And he, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh the, the fourth name we find here in this passage of Scripture, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I want you to kind of get that whole picture. I want you to read that without a break and just see how glorious and how incredible this is. So to get us back caught up to speed, right, we who are saints are caught up in this worship festivity this festival of praise, because we're getting ready to enter what we just read about, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, we're, ready to, we're getting ready to enter into that marriage eternally with Jesus Christ. Now, every Hebrew marriage um, was basically had three different parts to that. Uh, the very first part is called the betrothal, or engaged is another way of looking at that. Now, their betrothal and their engagements would last for a lot longer than most of the time ours do here in America. Let's say they could be betrothed or engaged for 10 years, or who knows how long. Um, just like we are now in a betrothed period, that we know that one day we are going to enter into this marriage of the Lamb. We're betrothed to Him. We are His there's no other man that can come and, and do anything to us. Nothing else can come and take us. We're his. We are his, and we always will be. But then there is the actual ceremony itself where the marriage is going to happen. And that actually happens, what, what most people believe, that actually happens like at the rapture. Where we are. He's coming halfway. He meets us in the air. We go to him. We're in essence entering into that ceremony of marriage. And for all of that time from the rapture until now, we have been in this ceremony of, of, of a marriage or a coming together with him. But then after that, there's something called the marriage supper of the lamb. And in this case, or in the Hebrew case, there was a marriage supper festivity that happened after the wedding. And after that wedding took place, there were seven days. Wow. You're talking about party, party animals. There were seven days of fe feasts and parties and festivals and, and celebrations. Seven days to, to take time to, to allow this man and then this woman to come together and love on themselves and love on all of their friends. Well, this is in essence happening um, now. And Jesus is riding out on the white horse and he's about to go into the battle of Armageddon. When he goes into the battle of Armageddon, we in heaven are also going to mount up on white horses and get behind him. That's what we just read. So let's kind of dive down into this. Now, after this heaven opens, then we see him riding on the white horse. The white horse is a stark contrast from the first time Jesus came, right? When he rode into Jerusalem, it wasn't a big, tall, white, royal horse. It was the colt of a donkey. It was about as low as you could get without walking yourself. And that was prophetically to say that he came down first in a humble way to reach us where we are. But the second time he comes is going to be much more powerful, much more victorious, much more incredible. The whole world is going to see it all at one time. This is going to be glorious. In the Roman days, when they would come in from victory, uh, the generals of the army or even the Caesar himself, whoever it was that was in charge of, of the army at the moment, would ride in on a white horse to proclaim, hey, we were victorious. We were victorious in battle. Jesus rides out on a white horse as if to say, don't matter what you do, enemy, I'm going to be victorious. I'm already there. I'm already victorious. Uh, it says his eyes were like a flame of fire, which re basically represents uh, he's going to see it all. There's no fake going to come before him that he won't just burn through and know the the intent of the heart, know it. There, there's no fake. There's no fooling him. The fire in his eyes will burn through all of the fake stuff, and he'll really know the true heart of what's going on. 
I also like how it says, on his head were many crowns. What a, again, what a contrast with what we have already read about when we read about a being with horns or a being with crowns. Uh, the, the dragon, the beast, they all had heads and crowns, but they were in limited number. Most of the time there were seven, right? Seven crowns uh, or 10 crowns in another case. Um, but it was a very limited number. But on, but on Jesus' head, there is an unlimited number of crowns. It is, a, it is king of kings and lord of lords, that there's no limit to his lordship or his kingship. And it goes on to say that he has a name written that no one knew. Uh, the first name we heard about Jesus, the first name that this passage of scripture calls Jesus is faithful and true, verse 11. But now we're down here in the next verse, it says that he has a name that no one knew. That's pretty interesting that John sees this name, but he doesn't really know how to either pronounce it, say it. He's never seen it before. He doesn't really know what to take of it. So what it probably means is that he has a name that is by human definition incomprehensible. It is, uh, it is unfathomable who he really is in his purest identity. He was also clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Um, a lot of questions, people have the same question, right? Um, whose blood? <laughs> Where'd the blood come from? I believe that this is his blood. Um, here's a couple reasons why. Number one, I believe it's his blood because he hasn't gone into battle yet with the Battle of Armageddon. He's about to. He's coming down upon the earth and he's getting close and the whole world is seeing him. But he's not been in this battle yet. So it's probably not the blood of the, the enemy in this final war for sure. Um, but the second reason I feel like it's his blood is because we've already been told that we, we're made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Um, so that lets you know that that's part of what gives him the victory is the fact that the enemy cannot cross that blood. The enemy cannot do anything with that life that's been given through his blood for us. That it is through that blood that he reigns victorious. It's through that blood that our sin is not just forgiven, it's eradicated. It's, it's victoriously won. There's a, the holiness of God victoriously wins over the sin of our flesh. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. So those are the two reasons why I feel like this is kind of his own blood, as if to say that's part of what he's going to war with. Now, he also goes to war with other things. Uh, for instance, uh, well, let's go back. I'm sorry. Let's go back. Verse 13, not only is his robe dipped in blood, but it gives us another name called the Word of God. That's the third name that we've already seen. Faithful and true, a name that is incomprehensible, and then now the Word of God. It's pretty interesting to note that this is John. John writing about this, who wrote in the Gospel of John, same man writing both those books, and he starts off the beginning of his Gospel by basically teaching us and telling us that Jesus is the Word of God, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And so now he is now seeing fully, fully this word of God, this Jesus being the word of God again. And, um, after that, it says that we are then an army behind him, and these are the saints, and we're clothed in fine linen, and we followed on white horses, right? Now, um, this might burst our bubble just a little bit, or at least it did mine, um, we don't really read anything about us getting to be a part of the war as in we are going to be slinging our swords around. Um, that unfortunately is not something I wanted to hear because I wanted to hear that I was going to have a sword and I was going to be able to, to put a whooping on some of those devils that's been messing with me for so often and so long. Um, 
I, I was hoping to, to swing my sword against that enemy that tried to defeat me with sin and lust and doubt and fear and uh, all these other things that, you know, maybe we've struggled with as humans. But really, our job in this war is to basically be behind him to see what he is doing, to see how he does it, and to cheer him on as he is doing it. There's no real mention of the army even having a weapon. The only weapon that's mentioned is Jesus himself saying, out of his, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That's verse 15. Now that sharp sword is, in Scripture, we see that represented two ways. In Hebrews we see that it is the, the Word of God, that the, the Word of God is like a sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, the Word of God goes forward out to the world to basically say, this is how Jesus is judging. He's putting their lives up against what the Word of God has said. Uh, the second thing we see is Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that the Word of God is the Spirit. It said, and, and take up your just the sword of God. And it's a spirit. We see that uh, that the word, the spirit, the sword, they all kind of mean the same thing. That this Bible is a spiritual book and it allows us to live a spiritual life. And it is through what the Holy Spirit does in this word in our life that we can we can realize that God is is actually moving us in sanctification to a day where we don't have to fear our judgment, that Jesus has taken on that judgment. And, and then the only thing that we're going to be judged by is our works. And all the works that didn't matter are going to burn up like chaff and be gone. But all the works that did matter, that we did do for God, they're going to be left as gold and purified treasure before Him. Well, now, for those that did not live a life that way, did not live to treasure what God was doing spiritually, um, then they're about to be judged, and they're judged by this word that comes out of Jesus's mouth like a sharp sword. It also says he will rule them with this rod of iron. Uh, that We read about that already in Revelation 12, where John sees this prophecy of a woman being Israel, giving birth to a child, being Jesus. And then this, the dragon tries to devour this child before he can grow up. Why? Because in that same prophecy, it says that this child will rule with a rod of iron. Um, that, that, that rod of iron has been tempered. It's been strengthened. It's been purified. It, it's something that he's going to rule with. And it's something that enemy can't do anything about. All right. Uh, let's move on. And it says that he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This goes back to, um, you know, like Revelation, uh, I believe it's chapter 14, that talks about Jesus in, in, the, in the near future, at the end of Revelation. Jesus himself is going to trample out the, the winepress and that those grapes in that winepress are going to be all of those all of those that were on the side of the enemy, all of those that did not believe, and the enemy himself. <clears throat> and then upon his robe and upon his thigh, here's that last name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as if to say that's his ultimate title. There's no one above him. There's no one greater than him. He is King. All these other kings that uh, tried to stand in his way and all these other kings who thought they were part of this great world empire who thought they were bigger than God. Well, newsflash, wake up call. That's not the case. There's no one greater than him. All right, let's read through these last few verses, 17 through 21, and we'll close with that tonight. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now that's not the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to enter into that when at the end of this victory. This great supper of God is actually God telling to all of the birds of the world, let's get ready. You're about to feast. Feast on what? The enemy's flesh. Let's just say it like it is, right? All right. He says, um, 
saying with a loud voice to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for that supper of the great God. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Basically, all of those who were left in the world not believing and chose, they chose after countless times God's trying to reach out with mercy yet one more time and yet again, and they turned their back on that and... They were deceived by the enemy, and the enemy had deceived them in a way where they all believed that they didn't need to do it God's way. Well, not so good news for them. Um, this kind of is that picture of David and Goliath, where David and Goliath are talking back and forth, and Goliath says, you're about to become basically a feast for the wild animals. He said, oh, you're nothing to me. Well, the enemy is going to make it look like he's a giant and that this empire, there, there could be nothing greater than this world empire. Well, we saw how David in one swift action ended the giant and his claim to fame. God's Jesus riding on the horse is going to step out and with one word. So really and truly, um, this battle is not going to last very long. It really isn't. Um, you talk about nuclear warfare, in one word, it's going to echo through the entire world. Think about this, that same command that come out of his mouth called a great light in a great darkness in the book of Genesis, called a great order in a great formless void of chaos. And that one word created had so much power in and of itself to move that it moved the entire earth at one time. In fact, the entire heavens at one time. Kind of the same here that in one word, I don't know, don't know what that word is, but in one word, victory over the whole earth is going to take place. And then we're going to shout for joy after that. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And there it is. This is that battle of Armageddon where there, there is a valley of Jezreel. You can Google that. Look that up. It's, it's a valley that uh, Mount Carmel looks over. It's a valley that Napoleon himself said is the greatest battle uh, ground that this world knows. That um, there is this perfect valley and they're all going to gather there. All of the armies of the world are going to gather there to try to come against the Jesus at this moment. And as they all gather in this valley, verse 20 says, But the beast at that time will be captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That is what we kind of know of as hell. Um, that, is, that is a place made for Satan and his fallen angels. Well, these two get cast and bound into that. All of the unbelievers will find themselves there after the great white throne of judgment we'll read about later. But right now, they're cast and they're, they're bound and they're cast into this place. That you and I, is not made for you and I. We, we're made for something so much greater and higher and wonderful. As they're cast into that, as they're, they're, they're put into that place, verse 21 says, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And the, all the birds were filled with all of their flesh. Again, this battle, which is going to look so huge, um, is going to end pretty quickly. Just the word of Jesus Christ going forward is going to cause judgment and cause a, a powerful ripple effect in the entire world. And that at one time, it's all going to come to an end and here we are at this end. Here we are at the end of this battle of Armageddon. I'm going to leave us there. 
and start in Revelation chapter 20 next week. Um, we're going for, for those of us, for you and I who are believers, it only gets better. <laughs> we have just scratched the surface in what we get to now experience and what we get to now see. So just as a recap, we have now been just caught up in this electrifying worship service, seeing God for who he is and seeing Jesus, not just seeing him from afar be victorious, but seeing him as if we get front row seats to see him be victorious over all of our enemies and all of those that that those those deceptions and things that the enemy tried to use to bring us down are all going to be gone in just one moment and we give a glorious praise again because we are seeing this victory happen and we're about to enter into the marriage supper of the lamb that's going to happen at the beginning of the thousand year reign and so to tie it all the way back i ask you a question do we get to eat in heaven yes we do that's right this marriage supper of the lamb is going to be a literal festivity where you and i get to eat and enjoy and celebrate and relax and have fun and have a good time in the presence of God the way fun and joy joy is and love is meant to be and this is that's just the beginning of it all for you and for me and hopefully all of those who have turned their heart and their life and their belief over to Jesus Christ so with that, I want us just to close with that one, that, that one thought that the angel, between the angel and, and John, that one thought where John says, this is a true saying. This is a true saying. This, hold on to this truth. Hold on to it that all of everything that you've ever gone through, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it one day. Everything you've ever given up for him, everything you've ever suffered or been persecuted about or ever ever did where the enemy gave you flack over, everything that you've ever had to go through because you were a believer, one day it is all going to be worth it. Everything you ever went through is going to pale in comparison to the glory that you're going to get to be a part of. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you that nothing with you is wasted. Nothing that we've ever gone through, no struggle, no trial, nothing that we've ever gone through is going to be wasted. That you, God, have, you've got it all placed in order that one day we are going to get to see you and we're going to get to enjoy the, this beauty and this glory and this presence and this festivity and this celebration we're going to get to have a joy and enter into the joy of the Lord like we could not even fathom. Father, I want to thank you that you are moving us in that direction. Even if it feels like we've gone two steps back lately. No, the truth of the matter is we're always moving in that direction. So Father, I praise you and I worship you. And I ask, Lord God, that if there be anyone, anyone that is watching this, that has not truly, truly given their heart to you, that, Lord, they do so this very evening. Not wait another minute, not waste another moment, because it's all going to be worth it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. If you love him, say amen. Thank you. We love you. We're praying for you. If there's anything we can do for you, let us know. Thank you for joining in with us. We can't wait to see you Sunday and next Wednesday and more to come. All right, I'm Pastor Justy. Peace out. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you.